This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And good morning on this long holiday weekend, Easter weekend. Hope you and yours are going to be having a wonderful little visit from the Easter Bunny. Uh, Meantime, let me welcome in little furry friend who uh, is ensconced in her lovely home there in Prince Edward County. That would be Charlie Dobbin. Good morning, Charlie. I like that furry. That's that's actually pretty true. (laughs) I haven't seen a a hair cutter in, I don't remember how many months. I am rather overgrown. Uh, Are you? Okay. Hey, listen, I had a laugh. Uh, We we had a brief chat yesterday, and I was at that time saying, I'm really worried about my little bird feeder I've put up. Uh, Not one bird has shown up in two days. And you blew me away and said, are you kidding? Maybe a couple of months before they discover that darn thing. Well, come on. This is the garden show. It's all about patience. And here you are 48 hours into being a a bird feeder parent, and already you're frustrated because the birds aren't lined up to get at your seed. Well, the neat thing is that next week, Paul Oliver from Urban Nature Store, and he has a lot of information about bird feeders and birds, he's going to be with us for a bit, eh? He is, he is. He's going to come in and answer any questions anybody has about feeding birds, particularly, I think, your question of how long do I have to wait before some birds show up at my feeder. That's right. But but I can tell you, I put feeders up at my place last Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. and I I didn't see any birds till probably after Christmas. And even then, it was, well, I started with a few chickadees and a few finches. But then as soon as you get one, you get two. As soon as you get two, you get five. As soon as you get five, you get... 20. So it, it's, it's been, the flocks are growing. Okay. Uh, speaking of flocks, a flock of uh, listeners might be wanting to call in to ask questions of you, Charlie. So mm-hmm. I better get the phone numbers on the air here. In Toronto, call 416-360-0740. Then anywhere in the province is toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And I got to tell you, oh, um, uh, by the way, I guess I better, our little mantra goes yeah. this way. Call early, call often, one question per call. And if you happen to be a first-time caller, let Carlos, our operator, know. And then when you get to the airwaves, just before we let you speak... You're going to hear that, your little garden wings, okay? Oh, I didn't even hear that. Did you actually ring that bell? Yeah. Did you hear that? Oh, there it is. There there you are. Okay. Okay. Um, Uh, I just want to quickly give a little plug to the Toronto Star today in the Home Finders section. They've got a great article Mm -hmm. on tales from their pandemic gardens. Folks who uh, are, you know, for the first time around uh, trying to get a little garden going. But they also uh, plug... um, Something on Facebook, Grow Food Toronto. Oh. And it's it's really sounds neat. And I, uh, just below that, when I went online, I saw, oh, hey, Get Growing Toronto. Whole article on uh, all sorts of things to do with gardening. So might be a good uh, little thing to pick up and uh, follow along with, my friends. 
Uh, and just quickly, while, while we're talking about cool things going on in yeah. the Toronto area, but even outside Toronto, <clears throat> I just learned about something called Tree Mobile. Actually, is it Tree Mobile or Tree? Yeah, Tree Mobile. Uh-huh. But the actual uh, webpage is transitiontoronto.org. And it's all about uh, supporting food growing in the city, in Toronto, but they're also, they come out of Guelph and they, it started in Guelph actually. Run by volunteers, completely nonprofit, and they just want to get more trees into the city and more food into people's hands. So, berry bushes, apple trees, plum trees, all kinds of things are available. Even they can be delivered and they can even be planted if you need uh, that done by one of their volunteers. So, it looks like a fairly cool organization. Uh, TransitionToronto.org. Hey, that's terrific. Just one tip that uh, they will be passed along via Charlie or you, the listeners. And uh, we better take a little bit of a break here because we'd have the lines uh, lit up like crazy here. Susan is calling in from Union, and we're going to be joining her and getting her on the air here in just moments on Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, let's uh, get our first caller on the air here. Welcome to Susan calling in from Union. Hi, good morning, Susan. Good morning. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. How are you both? Great. Thank you. Morning. Yeah, we're good. Well, my question today is... Um, we have a maple tree, um, too, actually, and they have tar spots in the fall on their leaves. And um, we wondered if it's okay to rake those leaves and put them in our composter. Uh, good question, actually. Um, you'll find both answers to uh, two different answers to this question. One is do not keep the leaves on the property because they are a source of the fungal disease, so that they're a source of spores in the spring. Uh, when we get some rain, if the leaves are still sitting on the ground or you know out in the air, the spores can develop on the surface of the leaves, and then in the rain and the wind, will travel to your newly uh, emerging leaves this spring on your maple trees and sit there. You won't see this, the tar spot disease until again next late summer or this coming you know, late summer fall. So that's one theory is don't keep them around because you'll just for sure have tar spot again. My personal philosophy is keep them around, but use your lawnmower, put the bag on the lawnmower, mow them up so that they're small pieces, and then put them either in the composter or on the surface of the soil of your gardens, and they will decompose very, very quickly in the spring, and the tar spot fungal, fungal disease is unlikely to be uh, passed around if the uh, leaves are well into a, a form of decomposition. And keep in mind as well, you've probably got neighbors with Norway maples that get tar spots. So even if you do eliminate all your leaves, you're still likely to see the disease just from, from the neighborhood. Okay, thank you very much, Charlie. You're very welcome. And, and okay, actually, one quick more thing was, Frank, I'll just tell you, um, yep. tar spot won't hurt your trees. It doesn't look nice, but it's really just an aesthetic issue. Not, uh, it's, it's not going to hurt or kill your trees. Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Charlie. Uh, you know, I'm looking out the window here uh, onto Liberty Village and uh, Liberty Street. It looks like we've got a lot of blue sky out there. Yeah. Uh, kind of surprised 
Yeah. Good looking day, by the way, tomorrow, uh, Easter Sunday. It looks like a beautiful day. High of 15 degrees coming along. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So we got a note, and you're going to have to help me with pronunciation on this one. It's from uh, Margaret Charlesworth. Uh, This email says, I bought a package of decan sulfide anemones last fall. When can I plant them outside? Anemones. There you go. I knew it. I knew I'd screw it up. <laughs> okay. Most people do. Anemone. Most people call them anemones. Anemones. It's, okay. That's the phonetic uh, spelling, right? Anemones. But yeah. anemone is the correct pronunciation. Okay. Okay. So these are a funny little little bulb. Well, not even a bulb. They're a, um, I think they're more of a a corm. They're, they're just they're, they're dry, wrinkly brown <laughs> little tiny things, and they don't look like much. And buying them in the fall is fine, as long as you've kept them in a cool, dark spot all winter. The time to get them into the ground is now, March or April. I would suggest soaking them in some room temperature water, oh, 12 to 24 hours at the most, just in a little bowl. Get them soaked just to to try and break dormancy. They're very slow to, to sort of wake up because they're such dried up little, almost little turds, they look like. Anyway, once they've soaked for a half a day or a day, plant them out. Sunny location, good quality soil. Make sure it is well-drained and gets lots of sun. Two to three inches deep, eight to ten inches apart. And, um, and yeah, just make sure it's not a heavy clay soil or a really wet spot. They will rot. So you do need that well-drained soil and lots of sun and, and good quality. Okay. Right? Uh, we have a, a very busy phone line, uh, or phone lines, uh, should I say. So let's take a quick little break here, come back, and welcome Joe from London, Ontario, my hometown, onto the uh, air here on Zoomer Radio. It's the Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All righty, Charlie, let's welcome Joe to the line from London, Ontario. Good morning, Joe. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Charlie, and um, my old compatriot from London. Good <laughs> um, morning. I've got a quick question. I, uh, last year, I grew some angel trumpets mm-hmm. and annual datoris metal, or something called. Mm-hmm. Um, I got the seeds. They're, they're prickly. Um, they grow into a, the the seeds. Mm-hmm. I, I picked one, a couple of those out, and um, they're uh, in that. Um, anyway, I just wanted to know when can I uh, try to grow them for this year? Did Wait. you leave the plant outside so that it died uh, they, over the winter? They died. They last fall. They uh-huh. they died. The plant died, and leaves this little little uh, round ball of prickly, prickly, pricklies. Mm-hmm. And when they bust, that they bust open and themselves. And I, I saw that, and I thought, well, maybe they're they going to self-plant, self-grow. Um, and uh, I got took some, and I've got them in a, a container. I just wondered when I can, if I can start them, how can I start them, or is it worth? Um, uh, they are. It is certainly possible to grow from seeds. I'm just actually doing a quick search because I haven't ever grown this plant from seed. Um, yeah. yeah, so Datura is... 
This is like Brugmansia and Dutchura look very similar. They, they, Brugmansia gets really, really big, um, 10 and more feet tall versus Dutchura, which is three to four feet yeah, tall. Yeah, they were very small, yeah. Yeah, and both of them produce seeds. The one with the round, spiny seeds is the Dutchura, which is one that sounds like you've got yeah. uh, going on there. Um, I'm just looking at reliable seeds, la la, uh, high qu- So you need some, obviously, some seed starting potting soil, seed starting mix or germination mix. Yes. Not just regular potting soil. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I assume the seeds have been kept over the winter inside, dry, yeah. and cool. Oh, inside, dry, yes. They're in a container, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, so some good quality potting soil starter mix, uh, very small plastic pots with drainage, like three inch, uh-huh. two inch, four inch. <clears throat> And uh, some lights, always always a nice idea if you have lights, or at least a way to warm up. Seeds will always germinate faster if you've got some warmth from below. Okay. And yep. um, so I sometimes I'll use a heating pad. There are proper seed starting mats, electrical mats for seed starting. Okay. Um, I have a bathroom floor that's heated, so I've been starting all my seeds in my bathroom. <laughs> so you want to and, bring them down to your bathroom? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a warm spot. So, here's no. another another example of pre-soaking. Like we just talked about the anemones being pre-soaked. These oh, okay. seeds will yeah. do well to be pre-soaked. Uh-huh. Um, and just that's like, one of the like, ways you just, get that. Just like Charlie, a joker. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, just like your friend, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So slightly warm water, 24 hours prior to planting, leave and soaking, peel, uh, the you you know you, the, the pod should be open. You want to be seeing those little tiny black seeds that are inside yeah, the pod. Yeah, that's what I'm going. All I've got is black seeds. Yeah, good, perfect. And then uh, just plant the seeds. Uh, they do need light to germinate. So not all seeds do, but this is an example of a plant. The seeds require light. So don't uh-huh. bury them deeply. Just on the surface of your moist soil, your germination mix, uh-huh. uh, and a little tiny bit of soil on top of that, and a nice spritzing or press the seeds in a tiny bit just with your fingers and then you know water spritz make sure they're nice and moist and then i'll put like plastic wrap over the top of the pot okay just set up like a mini greenhouse yeah and uh i wouldn't put them right in a window because you end up with a little oven when the sun is shining so you need a light but uh the the light from the window is fine, but don't seal the plastic if you're leaving them on a window ledge. Again, it's just, just, just open the yeah, open the ends, yeah. and the corners, and let the air. The yeah, I understand. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. So it it'll take uh, it might take as much as a month to see anything, three okay. to four weeks. Yeah. So don't think you're not getting somewhere if you don't see anything for a month or so. They're not fast to germinate, okay. but as soon as when they do. Yeah, you'll you'll know you'll know you're in luck, and then of course you'll get lots more light on them at that point. Yeah, when is the best time? Now? I would, since it's going to take as much as a month to germinate. Okay, then. From appreciate it. Okay, yeah, thank you, Joe. Welcome. Yeah, joining thank us. You, Mike. From Thanks London. for calling. That was a good question. All right. Yeah. Um, I have a, uh, an email here from Mrs. Jean Dixon, and, but she informs me right off the top that it's first time inquiring. So <laughs> that is worth... A ring of the bell for that. <laughs> and, and she sent you some pictures to take a look at. Mm-hmm. She says, um, I have a courtyard with brick walls, a cement top platform, top wall, uh, top of wall, and a Boston ivy growing there. Many years old. A number of years ago, I noticed it was getting more and more dark red or rust type spots, some quite large on the leaves. She's concerned that uh, maybe this is something that's going to harm things. How can she get rid of that? Right. 
So, <clears throat> yes, I can see it's not a very uh, good-looking... It actually appears to be a, a disease. Uh, it is a fungal disease. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, a leaf spot. It's Guignardia leaf spot, probably, based on the photographs. So how does that hang around in our gardens? Well, it survives over the winter in the leaf litter. And then the spores will germinate during the cool, wet weather in the spring. As I said, it's more cosmetic than anything, but it really isn't very attractive. So one of the ways, a couple of ways to try and avoid that, seeing that disease on the plant this year is clean up all the leaves, make sure there are no leaves left anywhere on your property uh, from that Boston ivy that fell last winter. Um, Consider thinning. If it's a really old plant, it's probably really um, piled and climbing all over itself, like really, really thick and dense. So thin it out a bit. Get some air circulating a little better. You'll have fewer fungal problems when you've got air and light penetrating the plant. When watering, of course, avoid wetting the foliage. You can't do much about rain, but you don't need to spray the leaves. And um, you can, if you're really, really convinced that you want to try and absolutely control this, you can uh, consider um, applying a fungicide. As soon as the leaves start to emerge, uh, particularly if the weather is cool and wet, which it often is in the spring, every week to two weeks, spray with a fungicide when it's not wet, obviously on a dry day. Uh, But get a hold of at least two different fungicides, two different active ingredients on the packages and alternate them because the last thing you want to do is use the same fungicide over and over and over every week or so uh, because before you know it, the uh, disease will not respond whatsoever and will be completely able to withstand the spray. Excellent. Okay, Gene, I hope you're tuned in for that. Now, uh, from Hamilton, let's welcome Gregory to the lines here. Good morning, Gregory. Welcome to the show. Hello, Greg. Morning. <laughs> Hmm. Hello. Hello. <laughs> All righty. Uh, what we'll do maybe is jump to another caller here, Shelley in St. Catharines. Good morning, Shelley. Yes. Good morning. Yeah. Uh, you're you're traveling around. That's right. <laughs> yes. Welcome to the show. You've been to London. Now you're here where you where you were working. That's right. <laughs> um, yes. I have a question about mulch. I have two huge sixty seventy foot blue spruce trees. So I have lots of needles. Mm. We've tried red uh, wood chips, and we've had earwigs. We've tried cedar, and we've got the big black carpenter ants. So, Charlie, do you have any suggestions for what we can use that we're not going to get all these bugs? Mm. Well, 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 that's a good question. Um <laughs> And, and also, to taking into consideration all these needles for, uh, you know, cleaning it up. Right. I was thinking of stone, but, you know, with all the needles, I don't know whether that would be viable. Uh, I've seen people do it. Um, river rock has become very popular as a, uh, a sort of a ground cover beneath trees. The problem with river rock is it's quite heavy, so it can be a bit onerous on the roots. And if you have a leaf blower, of course, you can blow the needles off. Of, right. uh, the rocks or stones. Uh, I would definitely rake out some of those needles. <clears throat> you don't want to have that too thick in there. You want, you know, the moisture and the <clears throat> air, et cetera, to be able to penetrate. Uh, you can bag up those needles, and if you have a friend with rhododendrons, they would thank you immensely for 
spruce needles because they are a wonderful top dressing around rhododendrons or any of the acid-loving plants. Uh, I would do that with those. The thing about any of the, the organic mulches, like you mentioned, the cedar mulch and the pine mulch and the different mulches, they are they they were living trees. They are now dead trees that will slowly but surely decompose and add actually quite good quality organic matter to your soil. And the little organisms that do that decomposing, we don't see a lot of them. Most of them are micro-sized, but then some of them are big like earwigs, and we do see them, right? And, you know, even, uh, um, uh, you know, there's some beetles and things that'll chew up bark, and et cetera. <clears throat> so you can't really... You can't really keep it clean of any life. As a matter of fact, it's good to have life when you have uh, natural products in your garden. You want to see action. Some of it is big action, some of it's small action, but you want that action because you want living soil. Earwigs are, are very cyclical. So we have some years where we see earwigs absolutely everywhere, and then a few years later we don't see an earwig at all, and then they come back on the cycle. So it could be that you were just seeing earwigs the year you saw them because there was a, an on year that, that time. And carpenter ants actually aren't that large, uh, but and carpenter, the real carpenter ants only eat dead wood. So they are, it, it could have been carpenter ants that were chewing up your, your mulch for you uh, because that's one of the things they'll do is they'll, they'll chew up dead wood. They don't eat live wood at all. Um, so they wouldn't hurt your spruce tree or anything like that or spruce trees. So, yeah, kind of a, kind of a fine line. Um, no perfect answer there. Uh, uh, what, what about uh, uh, what's that stuff called? Uh, uh, m- the cocoa bark or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's cocoa bean mulch, which you may find in a garden center. You'll only find it now in the spring. It smells great. It smells like chocolate. It comes off, you know, from the chocolate uh, industry, and because uh, it is the, the beans of the uh, cocoa beans. So, if, but if you have a dog, I never recommend cocoa bean mulch because dogs tend to be very attracted to it, and it's not good for them. In the shade under your spruce, the cocoa bean mulch will turn gray because it will get a layer of fungus on top of it. So oh. it'll kind of get gray and fuzzy. So it wouldn't probably be the best. How about growing um, a shade-tolerant ground cover under there, like periwinkle or pachysander or something like that? I That was another thought that I had, um, was was growing growing something under there. We have mm-hmm. lots of worms. Oh, good. The garden this year, I've got little holes for worms everywhere. That's good. Uh, We we have a healthy living garden, especially for the worms. But sounds like it, yeah. Yeah, but I, I, like you just suggested, I was thinking along that line too. If I couldn't go the other way. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly done that. Like, how far up have you limbed that tree? Is can you walk underneath it, or is it fairly low to the ground? Yeah, the tree is about. Oh, they're about 70, 80 feet tall. Right. Where, where's the lowest branch? Oh, at least, I would say, maybe 10 feet. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you've limbed it up quite a bit. Yeah, well, you've got some light under there, then. You you could grow some plants. You could even put some small little uh, rhododendrons in under there. <clears throat> they would like all those spruce needles. And if there's if there's that much height above and you've got a certain amount of light getting under there, why not? Forget the mulch. Fill it up with some great plants. Well, the problem, I've tried plants under there, but they, they haven't done very well because of the roots from the spruce tree. Right. So you have to start with very small plants, and you have to be very specifically uh, tender, loving, caring of them the first year or two because you're right. 
the big old spruces own that space and they're not going to allow new little plants to get established very easily. So you'd have to really be careful, you know, give some fresh soil when you're planting water specifically to those little plants because it will be dry under there. Yes, yes. Okay, well, you've given me some good ideas. I'll have to see what I can, what I can find here for uh, different things. Maybe I can use the cocoa mulch in the front yard where the dog does not, is not, okay. and then go, and the front yard also gets a ton of sun. Oh, good. It, yeah. It, it kills even my geraniums out there, even with watering them twice a day. Wow. Well, Shelly, we have to kind of move along, so my love. Uh, yeah. Shelly, we have to move Thanks along here. Calling. Okay. <laughs> We have all sorts of other callers waiting on the line, including uh, a note here that we have from uh, Carol Alexander to you. Charlie says, uh, just loves the show here. I wonder if you can help me with my big blue spruce standard. I really need to trim it back big time. It's taken over my front walkway. She has included a couple of pictures for you and says, now is a good time to trim or should I wait till it gets a bit warmer? So any ideas uh, would be much appreciated. Carol Alexander in Brampton there. Right. So that was a nice segue because uh, Shelly was just talking about big old blue spruce trees. Right. And Carol's email is all about a blue spruce standard, also old. So the difference, of course, is that a standard is a tree that's growing on a single stem. It's almost like a lollipop when you're first planted. Mm -hmm. So you've got that naked stem. And then in the case of the blue spruce, it would be like a blue globe on top of a single stem. But this based on the photographs, this was planted a long time ago, and it has not been pruned at all. And it is very large, very overgrown, and it is overhanging the walkway, etc., because it's at the front of Carol's house. That is, it's a big job to do this and to do it properly. Um, she even throws in here, I was thinking about taking my hedge trimmer to it, and no, that is not a good idea. Do not ever use a hedge trimmer on a blue spruce. Uh, I don't even use hedge trimmers on hedges, generally, if I can avoid it. So, consider hiring a pro to do the proper pruning on this blue spruce so that it will look good after it's been pruned. If you say, well, no, no, I don't want to spend that kind of money. I mean, I like the plant. I want to go after it myself. Now is a good time to do it. Sharpen your shears. Make sure you've got good, sharp pruners in your hand. You've got nice long sleeves on because this is a prickly plant. Make sure it is a dry day. Start by standing back. You're going to have all kinds of branches growing all over the place. So look closely, remove any branches that are interfering with others, and look at the overall shape. At the end of the day, you want that top blue spruce to be a globe again, but you want it to be balanced over top of the, the, the trunk. The problem with these plants, I find, is they tend to grow a lot more on the sunny side, the south side, than they do on the north side. So they always end up a little lopsided. So you're gonna, when you do your pruning, bring it back to being centered over the stem. Um, when you do your cutting back, cut back to, to pre- preferably where you see a bud or some needles. <clears throat> do not go back to just dead wood because nothing will grow from that point. If you have to, you'll go right back to the main stem when you're removing some of these branches. Um, And don't just do like a a shearing on the outside. Uh, Like that's the problem with the hedge trimmers. You end up just kind of doing this shearing thing, and that's going to make it even more dense and more thick and and more interfering branches. So it's really a, a stand back and take each branch at a time, decide whether it's staying with you or not, and then cutting back appropriately so that you've got the, the shape back the way it's supposed to be. Oh. Good luck. 
All righty. Okay. Um, let's take one more call here before we have to take an extra break. Diane in Dorchester, just outside of London, Ontario, as a matter of fact, on the line with us right now. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. And first of all, I want to wish you and all the listeners a happy Easter. Well, thank oh, you. Thank you, Diane. And Okay. Now, my question is about the lawn, of course, and I want to know your opinion, and then I'll uh, hang up. Um, about aerating the lawn, desatching, and lawn rolling. Should should we do it? And if so, what's a good time to do it? Excellent question. Perfect timing. <clears throat> right. So aerating, desatching, and rolling. So let's start with aerating. So aerating is usually we'll hire somebody to do this, but you can you can rent an aerator, at, you know, Stevenson's Rental, bring it home. Uh, start it up and you would do it now in the spring when the soil is moist. We don't do it when the soil is frozen. So, of course, we have to be past, you know, we're thawed enough to not be frozen, but not so moist that things are soggy and that aerator is going to really sink down into the lawn. So there is kind of a, a fine line. It, it could be now where you live. It'd probably be a week or two before I would do it if I was aerating. Everybody with a lawn that's more than five years old should aerate it because it's just you're, you're um, relieving the compaction in the soil. You're opening up the ground so that the air and the water and the fertilizer and whatever can penetrate to the roots of the lawn, and it's a much happier lawn for being aerated. So absolutely, yes, I'm a huge fan of aeration. Dethatching is only required by people that have thatch and thatch problems. People who have thatch problems are people that have very spongy lawn. When you walk on it, what's happened is when you mow, the dead grass or the cut grass drops down between the blades and piles up. If you don't have a very lively soil that your lawn is growing in because you haven't aerated, you will find that those cut uh, blades of grass start to pile up. And then over the years, they pile up and pile up, and they really slow down the penetration of the moisture, et cetera, down to the ground. So dethatching is an excellent thing to do if you have a thatch issue. Most people, if they have any life and microorganisms and worms and any of that in their soil, will not have a thatch itch issue. But, yes, if you do have one, dethatching is an excellent way. It's like a power rake. It just rakes through, rakes out some of that uh, heavy, um, you know, built-up material and you can get a hand dethatch with a dethatching rake it's like got a lot of blades on it uh, or again you can rent a dethatching machine lawn rolling great question i am not a fan of lawn rolling is the exact opposite of what you want to do to your lawn when we roll our lawns we do that because we're worried about it being lumpy and bumpy and we don't like it like that so we think if we roll it we can flatten it out the problem is, is rolling is, is doing the wrong thing because it's causing compaction in the soil. The more you compact your soil, the less life can live in that soil. Your lawn will not be, ha- be happy for the rolling because the roots have now just been compacted. You've lost good quality air penetration into the soil because, again, you've rolled it and compacted it. Um, so aerating opens it up, rolling shuts it down, um, and particularly with a heavy roller. So I avoid rolling, but I, what I would do is top dress and overseed, and that will help with some of your lumps and bumps. So get out some lawn top dressing or some topsoil, spread it around, rake it as smooth as you can, get some good quality grass seed out before the spring rain really starts, 
and that lawn, you know, it's a process. Our lawns can't be perfect overnight, but certainly if you consistently aerate, can rake at all the dead stuff first, aerate, dethatch as necessary, top dress and overseed, you can have a great lawn by doing that every single spring. Okay. Charlie, uh, take a little bit of a break. Go fill your coffee cup up, and uh, we, we'll uh, be back, actually, with a, a marvelous question from Carolyn DeGroot, who, along with her mom, listens every Saturday morning. That coming up next on The Garden Show with Charlie Dubbin. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, we have had an email here from Carolyn DeGroote with an interesting question. She says, uh, I was wondering, where do I take my garden tools like hedge trimmers, pruners, etc. to get sharpened? I have so many hand pruners, all of them are dull. I keep buying new ones, but my preference would be to get them sharpened. Some people tell me it's not worth it. The cost of sharpening is almost as much as buying a new pair. I wonder if you know of any service around, Charlie. Well, okay, so this is funny. I, I forwarded this email to you, Frank, and I probably should have looked at it more closely. Carolyn never tells us where she lives. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I sent her an email saying, where do you live? I could be more helpful if I had an idea. You know, Hamilton, Toronto, right. that sort yeah. of thing. Um, I don't need her address specifically. But um, here's my feeling about sharpening garden tools. Number one, very good idea. All tools, and even crazy things like shovels and hose, they work so much better when they're sharp. So, yes, you do want things sharpened. When it comes to pruners, instead of buying new ones because your pruners are dull, um, there are different kinds of pruners. So there are the cheap ones, and I bought the cheap ones for my first 20 years of being in this business. And I agree, you know, they would, would sort of stay sharp for a month or two or even the whole season, but then I'd lose them or they would break or something would happen and I'd have to buy a new pair. When I realized that I was, you know, buying new pruners all the time, I decided to save my money and buy a really good pair of pruners, which I did 20 years ago. And I still have or more, and I still have those pruners. And I care for them, I clean them, I oil them, I sharpen them, I do everything. I never would lose them or leave them outside in the rain. Uh, so there's your choice. You buy cheap ones and then consider them recyclable and get new ones when they're dull or broken or spend the money on, on good ones. If you are buying good pruners, then what you would do is wherever you're buying those good pruners, talk to the, the staff in that store and they will have a sharpening tool that they can sell to you so you can sharpen them yourself. If that just seems like too much work, because I've gone through some different sharpeners over the years. Uh-huh. You can sharpen with a stone, you can sharpen with a steel, or you can sharpen at a, at a, at a sharpening store. And then maybe you remember, Frank, that the, the guy would drive down the road That's in the right. big van with the bell ringing. Yep, yep. The, the scissor sharpener guy would come around. So those guys are still out there, depending on where you live. And generally speaking, they know what they're doing, and they'll sharpen anything for you, scissors, pruners, shovels. Um, but, yes, I do. I have a, a steel that I use now, and I sharpen my pruners and my loppers and any of my bladed uh, tools myself at home, and I teach my students how to do it as well. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a long answer, which isn't really the answer Carolyn was looking for. But, yeah, do do the sharpening. Get some good quality tools. Care for them. 
oil them, sharpen them, and um, yeah, look for somebody local who you can go to consistently. I find small engine repair stores, they'll always be able to sharpen your, your lawnmower blade. They'll also sharpen your tools if you need it. Okay. Uh, we're going to have to take another little break here. Um, we're just kind of running out of time here. Uh, but we'll be back to talk to Helen, Gregory, and uh, Sheila. We'll try and squeeze them all in next <laughs> in the Garden Show here with Charlie Dubbin. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All right, in the remaining few minutes of the show, let's try to get as many callers on the air as we can. Helen, good morning and welcome to the show. Morning, Charlie and Frank. Happy Easter to you both. Thank Thank you. you. I have a royal purple smoke bush. Is it too late for pruning or cutting back? No, not at all. Perfect time. Perfect time to do it. Yep, just do it on a dry day, sharp tools, and smell the creosote. It's got a very distinctive smell when you when you cut that plant back. All right, okay, thank good you stuff. very much. All right, thank you, Helen. Have a good day. Tomorrow thank might be a great day, sunshine with a high of about 15 degrees and no rain, it looks like. Nice. Gregory in Hamilton, back on the line, missing in action a few minutes ago, but he, he rejoined us. Good morning, Gregory. Hello, Gregory. <laughs> Maybe he hasn't rejoined us. All right, let's go to Sheila in Etobicoke. Good morning, Sheila. Yes, Charlie and Frank, good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm concerned about my uh, creeping hydrangea, and it's not flowering too much. It was doing beautifully at the initial stage. It's a few years old, and what fertilizer would I use? Okay, so it's a climbing hydrangea? You've got it going on a wall? Um, It's on a wall, yes, at the back of my garage. Yeah, they're a pretty easy plant to grow. Make sure your soil is good quality, fertile soil. Uh, well, you know, I, I haven't fertilized it because I don't know what fertilizer to use. Well, compost would I put some manure maybe or some, I've got some of those jobs, uh, spikes. Mm-hmm. Does that help? Yeah, you can use them if you wish. I'm not a fan of the job spikes. It's too much <laughs> fertilizer in one small spot for my taste. What a climbing hydrangea would love is some compost or composted manure around the base. Okay. It thrives in a soil that's high in organic matter. Okay. So, and, of course, water. Hydrangeas do like their water. Well, so, we, uh, that I do. But uh, it just seems so woody and um, the flowers are so sparse. Okay. So um, this spring, certainly go through, take out any of the deadwood, do some top dressing, like I said. If you, and if you want to fertilize it with a, a package or a synthetic fertilizer, just get a hold of a flowering plant fertilizer. Oh, the, the granules? Yeah, or the water-soluble, the stuff you mix up in the watering can okay. and then you water okay. the but plant. The, but the manure, the compost would, would do well as well, right? Absolutely. You can't okay. go wrong by top dressing any of your garden plants, but particularly hydrangeas. They love that nice organic material. Okay, I'll do that. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful calling. Thank you so much. I hope the Easter Bunny's good to you, too. (laughs) All right. Uh, Jim Allen writes a little note to us here, or at least to you, Charlie. Says, listens every week. Um, He put in a new garden last year and spread a layer of shredded bark mulch on it. Should we rake this mulch up and replace it, or remove it, tend to the garden, and replace it along with some new mulch? Hmm. (laughs) 
So <laughs> there's there's the problem. Yeah, no, I've heard this question before, and it's a good one. People were, wonder about that. What do I do with mulch that's kind of old and thin and ragged looking? I don't know what he's talking about when he says he's going to tend to the garden. Hopefully he's not rototilling or anything like that because gardens do not need that at all. Um, yes, indeed, it's a good idea to get in there, pull weeds, do whatever transplanting, planting you want to do. And in that process, your existing mulch is going to get moved around a bit. And yes, adding to your old mulch with new mulch is a great idea. Don't do it yet. Wait till the soil is warmer. Because remember, when we put that bark mulch on, it is going to trap cold in the ground if we put it on too early. So we want the soil to warm up. We want the rain to get through. Uh, we want all that good stuff to happen. And then we put on some more fresh mulch. And we always want the mulch two to four inches thick, so five to ten centimeters deep on the surface of our gardens. Um, I, yeah, I personally, you can if you want to sort of rake it out of the way. I mean, I used to do that with my roses. I had, I, because I would cover my roses with soil in the fall, I'd pull the mulch back in the spring, and then I'd do all my cutting back of my roses, and then I'd put the mulch all back in position and add to it. So you can do that if you wish, um, or just add if you wish. Just do not do any rototilling. That's all I'm saying. Don't rototill. Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, I have a, a, an email here, if we can deal with this. David uh, Mapledorum, who... Uh, wait, is, wait, wait, wait. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, before we get to this email, can I just um, mention two things? Yes, of course. One is, the I mentioned this last week, but I just want to mention it again. The Agent Court Garden Club will be meeting on Monday, April 12th, via Zoom at 7 p.m., Jeff McMahon uh, is talking about the trees of Mount Pleasant Cemetery. So if you're interested, Agent Court Garden Club would love to have you join in and join with them. The other is the Pickering Garden and Hort Society. They're meeting on Tuesday, April 13th at 7.15, and they're being joined by Ingrid Jansen or Jansen presenting Rewilding the Urban Garden, which sounds like an interesting topic, Rewilding the Urban Garden. Uh, for more information, go to PickeringHorticulturalSociety.com. Uh, also, a reminder to everyone that um, next week, Paul Oliver from the Urban Nature Store is going to be joining us and talking about birds and nature and urban stuff and feeding and all that uh, important stuff. And he wants to give away some gift cards. So in order to be eligible for the gift cards, you're going to want to go to the Urban Nature Store website to learn the scoop on how to uh, be uh, eligible to uh, win $10 gift cards from the Urban Nature Store next Saturday here on The Garden Show. All righty. That'll involve a magic word that you'll discover by <laughs> going to the website. Yeah. You know, so, yes. uh, we're just about out of time indeed. The guys from Dave's Corner Garage I, have arrived, I and the engines are starting, revving up already. I can see them. I, through, I'm, I'm watching you. I'm always watching you. Oh, well, you, you know? there you go. Oh, gee, and I didn't show you my socks. <laughs> no, oh, but well. you can if you wish. Uh, well, all right. Just a second. Just, they're my... Uh, my beautiful drinking socks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, have yourself a wonderful uh, long holiday weekend, although you seem to keep busy whatever you're doing. And there's another good thing. Quickly, you know, Charlie, as well as uh, doing this radio show, also teaches in college. But you also consult for people in their own backyards. People can hire you to come out and give them advice on what to do with their gardens and their property. Uh, maybe I should just give out the email 
And yes, folks, if you, you have a mind, give a you know, get in touch with Charlie. She'll help you out. C dot Dobbin. That's D O B B I N at M Z Media dot com. And I hope you get some business out of that. <laughs> okay. Well, you never know in these COVID times. I've been doing a lot of stuff from home. That's for sure. Yeah. But sure. you know, via a lot of presentations and such. But uh, so you have a wonderful Easter, Frank. I'm sure you don't have a lot planned other than watching the birds not come to your bird feeder. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, Yeah, we're not, we haven't got much going on either. No no children, no no parties, no family, no nothing. Just hanging out. But um, beautiful weather coming, so nice to get outside, get in the garden. Happy Passover, happy Easter. Everybody enjoy the beautiful weather, get some fresh air. See you again next week. There we go. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.